and settle in. Life's a bumpy ride. Daily fresh-baked horrors clamoring to get inside. There's so much rubbish out there, it kinda makes you think. Maybe I'll stay in today and sip a special drink. Hi, I'm Sarah McAfee. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, and this is Shrubbish. For those of you who are just now joining us, this is a podcast where we are going to be talking about different sobriety, beverage-esque related topics, which is kind of an intentionally broad theme so that we can cover all kinds of different stuff like people, history, products, what have you. Um, As I'm also an addict and an alcoholic in recovery, I've got a little over three years sober, almost three and a half now. Um, You know, any sort of things that come up from my own personal experience, we're going to talk about. I would love to hear from you, too, if you have other things that you want to share. Absolutely feel free to bring that onto the platform. Um, And then maybe the best part, in my opinion, at the end of every episode, we're going to sample the star of the show, the drink, the icon, the legend, the shrub. I will have prepared a shrub, uh, which if you don't know what that is, I recommend you go ahead and listen to episode one that covers what a shrub is. So I will have prepared one of those bad boys, and I'm going to sample it at the end of each episode um, and talk about kind of what went into making it and all that jazz. So welcome to episode three. Um, A little bit of business before we get started. I do need to let you know that for those of you who have been listening, you know that episode two I actually released a little bit early. I do want to keep this as a bi-weekly podcast, but it was so incredible because you all just had the most amazing response to episode one. People were calling and talking about their own relationship to sobriety and their affinity for like the sort of nerdy aspect of this podcast. And people were talking about the shrub and people had flavor ideas and it was really, really cool and I got super jazzed and I actually had episode two recorded already because this is the first time I've done anything like this and I wanted to make sure that I had plenty of media to sort of back it up. So I kind of recorded a little bit early. I recorded two episodes to be able to have them ready to release, but then when you guys all gave your beautiful responses, I wasn't able to react to that kind of in real time, which made me a little sad. So we're going to stick to working in true time where I'm going to actually record every two weeks and not do a a backlog of things. And the shrubs will be nicely two weeks fresh and it'll be it'll be good. So that's the plan moving forward. Um, But I do want to reach out to one of our listeners was super cool and wrote in about my pronunciation of Seville oranges, which I butchered in the first episode. Um, They let me know that they are Seville oranges, and they're named after a town, which I should have, I could have figured this out, but Seville, Spain, which is famous for its oranges. And they said that they have, in Seville, Spain, there's just oranges like all over town, just orange trees, dropping oranges, you can eat them, it's great. And that that doesn't happen in America. And I went ahead and did a little research and correct. Um, American cities say, we don't want the mess and that business, so we are only going to plant male trees, and then they can't fertilize and there won't be the fruit falling, um, which some people refer to as botanical sexism, which I think is great. That's a fantastic phrase. Um, So let's, you know, maybe avoid botanical sexism, but fantastic phrase. We also got some flavor suggestions, which I am not going to read allowed because I want them to be a secret because I might use them later and then people will get credit, I promise. And we had our first listener email. Woohoo, you know who you are, so thank you so much for that. 
And as I've been tracking things online, I've been tracking, and we have listeners primarily in the United States, um, kind of spread all over, though, which is kind of cool. But then we also have somebody listening in Germany. Thank you. Uh, Someone in Jamaica. And then we have a Mexican listener. So that's super exciting. Actually, I can't say that they're Mexican. They just happen to be in in Mexico. So that's kind of cool, spreading the continents. So I am very excited to get into today's topic, which is adaptogens. You may have heard of them. I had heard of them, but I also really didn't know what they were. I knew that they were in various non-alcoholic drinks like liqueurs and mixers, pre-mixed drinks, things to potentially change your mood, but that weren't addictive substances or alcohol. When I first got sober, when I was when I had my first trip home to see family in sobriety. It was over the holidays. And I was a little nervous about having all the booze around. And there wasn't going to be that much booze, but I was still worried about being around it. And I wanted to have an alternative to drink. So I mentioned to my dad that at the bodegas here, like the fancy ones, you know, there's these like walls of brightly colored cool-looking, interesting bottles, cans with pretty colors, different drinks that you can just pick out what you want. And there's things with caffeine, and there's things without caffeine, and they have flavors, and they do different things to you. And I was trying to describe that, and he did not know what I was talking about. Um, so, but, but that's sort of, you know, when I think about these alternatives to alcohol that are pre-made beverages, that's kind of what I'm talking about, if you, if you can see that picture in your mind. So I... And I was drinking one of those, and someone said it has adaptogens in it. And so then I started telling people, oh, I'm drinking these things with adaptogens. And they were like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's herbs that make you feel good. And they're like, like a drug? And I said, no, that's not what we're trying to do. It's the opposite of that. So I realized I really didn't know what I was drinking. I was saying that I was drinking things with adaptogens in them, and they are with adaptogens, but I don't actually know what adaptogens are. And so I decided I should maybe learn about that. So I started with your average Google search, um, which turned up this amazing UCLA Health article titled, What are Adaptogens and Should You Be Taking Them? Which I thought was very apropos for this because I honestly have no idea. I assume that they're good for you. But then, you know, sometimes, especially with kind of health-related stuff, you hear that something is good for you and you do it, but you don't actually know, like, is this something I should be drinking? Um, So I decided to, to learn about it. So to get down to it, basically, adaptogens are herbs and plants that have to meet the following criteria to be considered adaptogenic. They have to be non-toxic when taken at regular doses. They have to help alleviate stress. And they have to help the body reach homeostasis or balance. Um, Homeostasis is absolutely one of my favorite words in sobriety. It makes so much sense with what we're trying to do when we're in active addiction and what we really long for. And it's just a natural process in our bodies that we're always going to try to reach balance. The brain and the body is always going to be trying to do that. And it's really easy to get messed up there um, if you're taking in other substances to try to do that on your own. There's a really fantastic book called Never Enough by Judith Grizel. It's one of my absolute favorite books. I've read it a couple times now. And she talks a lot about homeostasis in that. Um, it's just something our brain is going to do. It's going to happen even if it's painful. And that's the pain is definitely something that you experience during withdrawals. 
There are a bunch of different kinds of adaptogens, um, and they're very fun to say. Some commonly known ones would be ashwagandha, ginseng, both American and Asian ginseng, uh, reishi mushrooms, rhodiola, schisandra, tulsi or holy basil, and Eleutherococcus senticosis, or Eleuthero, or also known as Siberian ginseng. And that nice, beautiful phrase um, I got from the most incredible source. There is this herbal garden free land place in North Carolina called Mountain Gardens. And one of the early voiceover jobs I did before I had any idea what I was doing but I was trying. I have this tendency to sort of jump into things without necessarily knowing what I'm doing. And that's great. It's kind of fun to learn as I go. And it's it's exciting to feel propelled, but also often makes me work a lot harder than I need to and make mistakes that I could have avoided. So I was doing this voiceover job. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I it involved reading over 100 herbs and their benefits. And it got into like the chemical compounds of them and their Latin names and where they hailed from. And I had no idea how to pronounce most of this stuff. So it was a lot of research on how to pronounce things. And this guy on YouTube, this man that works, I don't, I think it's his garden or maybe he works for them, but it's he, he'll just go into the garden with you and he'll be like, oh, here's this thing. It's uh, ashwagandha or withania somnifera. And then he'll talk about it and what it does and he'll show it to you. And it's the most incredible thing on the internet, I think. So if you want to give yourself a treat, I would recommend Googling mountain gardens and watching some of those YouTube videos because they're pretty fascinating. So you can take these in as a tincture. Uh, you can, they sometimes sell them in capsule form. Um, you can add them directly to food or drink uh, or steep it in like a tea. So back to the UCLA headline, should you be taking them? Western medicine doesn't necessarily deny their benefits or authenticity, but it seems that they use a lot of words like purported or supposedly or may benefit or things like that. But there are legit articles and journals that do actually say that they are helpful, um, There just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of scientific data or studies to support their benefits or lack thereof, and they're not regulated or supported by the FDA. But that doesn't mean that they're not good for you. Um, Adaptogens have been used for centuries all across the world. Tons of other herbs have too. But it is just important to note that they're not actually regulated by the FDA. Um, But there was a really great in-depth peer-reviewed journal Uh, from nutrients on the effects of some of the more well-known stimulating adaptogens. It was vast studies, and they really did seem to show a positive result for improved memory, energy, cardiovascular function, and things like that. Um, The term adaptogen was actually coined by Nikolai Lazarev, a Soviet toxicologist in 1947, when he was researching substances that would be antagonists to stress. And there are, in fact, synthetic adaptogens. There were some were even used as performance enhancers in sports in the mid-20th century. Uh, They were eventually outlawed. And this whole thing initially caught me off guard because originally I was thinking about adaptogens as a way to help manage stress, like in in soothing you, like as a means to soothe you. But then I kind of realized there are different kinds of stresses and different kinds of adaptogens for different uses. Um, You know, there's physical stress, there's emotional stress, there's biologic or environmental stress, and different herbs might be good for different things. Siberian ginseng might help stimulate the body and mind, whereas ashwagandha might be used more to help relieve stress or anxiety or calm you down. So going back to Nikolai or the early use of synthetic adaptogens, 
If you're looking for a means to help the body's resistance to an external stress, performance enhancers and energizers might be a good sought-out product for that. Here's how I kind of thought about it. When I'm drinking, I'm not stressed about being in a new socialist situation or who I'm talking to or how I'm going to fit in. That stress goes away. Um, But if I've taken Adderall the night before a big paper is due, I'm no longer stressed about the effects of being tired on my body. That's not a stress anymore. Um, And I'm not worried about any outside stimuli while I'm writing the paper. I'm just focused on writing the paper. And that's just sort of how I was thinking about it. So we think how they work is in relation to the brain. Um, The hypothalamus is a section of your brain that regulates homeostasis or balance. It's like the control center for your endocrine hormonal system and your nervous system. And the pituitary gland is an endocrine or hormone. I am struggling to say hormonal. Hormonal gland. Okay. So we think that the chemical components in the herbs interact with the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which per Catherine J. Dunlavi's article for the Journal of Undergraduate Neuroscience Education is the quote-unquote neuroendocrine structure critical for stress management. So that makes sense. They work with the stress-related hormones and pathways in your brain um, and make you feel better or make you feel more energized or whatever you need. It is important to note that just because something is herbal does not mean it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. You should definitely know what you're taking and how it works for you or if it will interact with other medications. So you should totally talk to your doctor if you're thinking about taking adaptogens. Um, You know, listen to your body. There's not a lot of evidence that say these things have negative side effects at all, but it's important to listen to yourself and listen to your doctor and know your body and know what you need to create your own balance. And that's kind of... The thing I realized while I was doing this research that, how do I say this? So when I was drinking and using, this sort of balance is where I was tripping up because I was trying to force a state for myself. I was trying to make myself be more awake, more alert, more energized, more go-getter, more social, more funny, um you know, trying to do all of these things, force these things that were not my natural state. Whereas now that I've, now that I am sober, and I don't always take things that are herby. Like, it's not like I drink an adaptogenic, it's not like I drink an adaptogenetic, am I saying that correctly? Tea every day or something like that. It's just sometimes these are in things if I want to have a treat or whatever. But for the most part, I just, you know, try to drink a normal amount of caffeine. I do have a cup of coffee in the morning, Um, drink water. I try to eat food that makes me feel good. I try to get plenty of sleep and exercise and, you know, social engagement. And I have plenty of energy. I don't need to be putting extra stuff in my body to force this. It's going to naturally balance itself out in a way that's correct for me. And that's something that I was trying to avoid when I was drinking and using it. I was trying to force a situation that I felt like I needed to be in, that I felt control over, that felt correct for me. But that's not, it's just not sustainable. There's just no way. So it's really important to try to listen to your body, I think. And it's not always easy. Like there are definitely times that I wish I could. I mean, I definitely still overcaffeinate myself sometimes and I feel absolutely crazy. Does it maybe help me get through the day? Yeah, but I feel complete garbage afterwards. Um, you know, so there's definitely there's definitely still a learning curve, but being able to trust 
the balance will come. And the balance, like I said, it's going to come. Your brain is going to do this, whether you like it or not. When you, you know, the the withdrawal effects you have after using a drug are your brain creating the balance again. You know, you felt really up. Well, now you got to feel really down to come back to that middle ground. And it's terrible. But if you're able to live more in the balanced ground, it's for me, I can't speak for anyone else. For me, being able to live more in the balanced ground is just a better way of life. And I am just, this sounds so hippy-dippy, but I'm just so grateful every day to not be trying to create my own map, be trying to force any sort of reality for myself and just embrace the existence that I have. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes I hate it. I get mad. I throw temper tantrums. I don't. I talk to myself a lot. Um, But, you know, that's kind of all I got on that. So last time for the shrub, I brought in a little cooler and I zipped it open and that whole process was simply traumatic and I hated it. So this week I went ahead and was. I just wanted to make sure that the shrub stays cool. You know what I mean? I don't want it to be warm by the time I'm done recording. I want it to be nice and, and fresh. So I remember to have a thermos. So we've got the thermos here, but I do want to drink it out of a glass like a sophisticated lady. So I'm going to pour it from the thermos into the glass. It should be nice and nice and uh, mixed up and good. I did get to smell it as I was concocting it earlier and it just, oh my gosh, it's it smells fantastic. So we've got today a pear cardamom shrub. Um, And again, so this is the other reason why I want to be able to do things in real time, because we used white wine vinegar for this one. And as I recognized in the the beet shrub, maybe not my favorite thing, but we've got it. So we're going to try it. Um, Okay, so we used a third cup pears. It's the, is is it bosk? I should learn the fruit before. This is the second time now. So this is bosk pears, um, a third cup bosk pears and white wine vinegar and brown sugar, equal parts of all those bad boys. And then a half teaspoon of cardamom, because it's pretty strong. I put the cardamom in a little tea bag that's for like making loose leaf tea. So it's a little paper tea bag. And I kind of hung it in there. It looked very cute. Uh, Screwed the top on and that bad boy was in the fridge. Um, So it's been in there for a little over the normal time that I would put them in there. But that's fine, because again, it's it's a pickle at this point. It's just brine. Um, And I did not pack the brown sugar because I didn't want to overdo the sweetness. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and do my little pouring thing and get it in the glass like a nice lady. And again, I'm not going to drink it to you at the microphone. That seems very rude. Again, you can't even taste this delicious concoction I've created. So that seems unfair on multiple accounts. Okay, here we go. Pear cardamom shrub. I noticed a couple things immediately. As expected, the white wine vinegar is really not a win for this. I can see other situations where it could be good. I'm envisioning possibly strawberry could be fun. Um, that's the only one that's coming to mind. But don't, I don't love drinking it like this. It's just not. It's just not working for me. The cardamom is the forefront of this beverage here. It is very cardamom-y. It is... So which is kind of nice. It's got a... It's not too sweet. Honestly, it could be sweeter, but it's okay as it is. Um, I'm going to do another sip. One moment. Yeah, it's really cardamom forward. 
I'm missing the pear, which makes me so sad because I love pears. But they are kind of a delicate flavor anyway, so I wonder if that maybe has something to do with it. Unclear. But, yeah, okay. So I would say, I would give this like a 6 out of 10. Maybe a 5. It's not that good. It's it's not bad. I'm a little disappointed. Can you tell? I'm sad. The good thing about this is I didn't make a huge amount of it. It only really yielded like a third of a cup. So I can just go ahead and drink this today (laughs) and just call it a day. Um, Or I can, uh, that seems like a lot of sugar for one day. So I'll maybe do it, separate it out. But uh, yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little bummed. That's okay. There, there will be, there will hopefully be so many more of these. Truly, I've had so many ideas that have come to my mind about flavors and a couple other people have written in about flavors. I would love to hear any flavors that you have as suggestions. And again, any topics that you'd like to talk about. I have a list going, but I'm definitely open to hearing what people are interested in learning about. Um, we're just not going to talk about like the making of vodka. That's There's other podcasts for that. We're going to talk about things that do not involve alcohol. So yeah, that's adaptogens. And I don't really think I have any other business to attend to with you. So I think I think it's time to say goodbye for today. I'm going to continue to drink this little pear cardamom shrub that I don't love because it's a beverage and it's in front of me. So, you know, I'm going to drink it. And, you know, as we say over here in the little shrubbish corner, don't let the shrubbish get you down. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. I am so glad you stuck around for this week's episode of Shrubbish. Of course, I wouldn't be able to do this alone. Research references are available in the show notes, and that spunky show art and design is by the incredibly talented Alex Crawford. And I would absolutely love to hear from you. Do you have topic ideas, flavor ideas, want to offer kind criticisms, or thoroughly butcher me with degradation? Please send an email to shrubbishpodcast at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram at shrubbish underscore pod. Also, please rate and subscribe. As all you podcast fans and creators know, it goes a long way.